Amen. First Timothy chapter number three, um, beginning in verse number 15. Um, well, we'll start in number 14. And whenever you we're starting here, um, this verse is kind of familiar because we've talked in the past about the church and what Paul was doing when he was setting people in order. But one of the things that we didn't get to is, is, is in this uh, continuation. So beginning in verse number 14, it says, These things write I unto thee, hoping to come unto thee shortly. But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar of ground and of the truth. Now, one of the things that, that we see here is that the thing that Paul is writing is so that the church be grounded in the truth. This is a clue that you're about to, you're about to give, be given some information that is foundational truth in the church. And if we miss it, we can be led astray by every wind of false doctrine according to Ephesians chapter number four. So what we see here is an introduction into something that is extremely foundational in its nature. This is something that the church is built on. What we're about to read is something that men have died over. This is a truth that is precious to the church of the living God. And in, in, in anybody can call themselves a church. Anybody can call themselves disciples of Jesus. Anybody can say the word Jesus. But according to Paul, they can also be preaching a different Jesus and a different gospel. So just because somebody calls themselves a church and uses the name Jesus doesn't mean they're talking about the, the one true God. And so what we're going to look at is a foundational of truth here in First Timothy three. Now, in in getting into this message, here's what's here's why it's important. Because if we're gonna know who Jesus is, we've got to understand these essential truths about him. And in understanding the essential truths about Jesus, you'll know when somebody's leading you in the wrong direction. You'll know when somebody's infringing on that. You'll know, um, you'll, you'll know that somebody's trying to lead you down the wrong path as if you know the right doctrine. You're not ever going to be able to know every false doctrine out there because as sure as you know them all, a new one's going to pop up tomorrow. And if you, ex if you have an expertise in false doctrine, you don't have anything. What you need an expertise in is right doctrine. If you know what's right, you'll know when something wrong comes along. If you know the right voice, you'll know when the wrong voice is calling your name. If you know what the Lord sounds like, you'll know what the enemy sounds like because it doesn't sound like God. So understanding essential truth is very important. And, and, and here we go in verse number 16. Here's the essential truth. The pillar and ground of the truth. Verse 16. And without controversy, understand now, I mean, this is explicit. He's saying there's no controversy here without controversy. What I'm about to tell you is plain, it is pure, and it is true. There's no, well, you know, 
This is without controversy. Without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. That means that, in, in, in a good Bible study that we'll get into one time is the mysteries, the mysteries of the New Testament. But he says without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. This, is, this means that it's hard for people to comprehend it. This is a great mystery. People stumble over it. Paul's essentially telling you this great mystery, people are going to stumble over this truth right here. So this is how you know where people are led astray is because this is one of those great mysteries. Here it is. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, and believed on in the world, received up into glory. Now let's look at this for just a second. It says God was manifest in the flesh. This is essential truth to the church. The church is built on this fact that it is God manifest in the flesh who came to the earth to purchase or buy back or redeem us from the devil. It is to purchase our salvation on the cross to do what we couldn't do. This verse says that God was manifest in the flesh. And here's why this is important. If you understand, now this is something that a lot of people will shy away from whenever they talk about um, anything having to do with, with Jesus or with God, they will have a, 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 an empty mouth when it comes to a verse like this. It, they'll, they'll, you know, um, play with the words, play with the terminology. But you need to explicitly understand that it is, as the Bible says here, God manifest in flesh. Now, we know that the Bible says that God, no man has seen God and lived. No man has seen God and lived but the Son. And the Son has declared the Father to the world. But no man has seen the Father and lived. Even Moses, whenever Moses, you remember whenever Moses wanted to see God? He said, I want to see your face. God said, you can't. He's too holy. He said, you can't see my face and live. And so God put Moses in the cleft of the rock and passed by and allowed Moses to see his hinder part, which is a lesson in itself because you can, you'll, you'll never see where God's coming, but you'll always see where he's been if you'll pay attention. Amen? You've got to be able to follow God and see where God's been and follow him, just like we've got to follow Jesus and we've got to follow what the word of God says. So anyways, back into this point, it says that God was manifest in the flesh. It doesn't say a God. It doesn't say some gods. It doesn't say little gods. It says God was manifest in the flesh. It doesn't say a good man was manifest in the flesh. It doesn't say a good teacher was manifest in the flesh. It says God, a very God. It's capital G. So that lets you know that God in heaven came to the earth and appeared in flesh form. He was manifest in the flesh. Now, we're coming up into Christmas season. Um, actually, we already are. If you listen to the radio, it's already on the radio. Amen? And I praise God for that. I love this time of year. But as we get into Christmas season, one of the important doctrines of the church, foundational aspects of it, is Emmanuel, God with us. As Matthew chapter 1 and verse 25 through 27 says, whenever Mary became pregnant as a virgin, she received the Lord by the power of the Spirit in her womb. And that is how God was manifested in flesh. 
And so he was born, and it's a very important teaching. It's a very important doctrine that the church holds. That's why whenever Paul set this up, he said, you know, I'm, I'm writing this so when you set the churches of the living God up, you don't stumble over this pillar of truth. This is a foundational teaching to the church. Now, why is it important? Well, I want to share with you an experience that I had this weekend. Um, one of the one of the things that I had this weekend was um, I had an opportunity to share the gospel with some people from the Jehovah's Witness, and I want to share this with you because it's a good teaching. Uh, it's a it's a teachable moment. Um, here's what happens: whenever somebody comes to your door and says that they want to do a Bible study with you, that's great. This is an opportunity, whether they're believers or not. Now, one of the things that's important is if, like I said earlier, you've got to know the truth. You've got to know the truth so that you know when somebody's in error. Amen? This is, this is why we teach these foundational things so that you know when somebody's leading you astray. This is, uh, for example, uh, we've been through things like the Word of Faith movement, how you can know not to, not to go down those roads. Amen? Well, when it comes to... When it comes to this doctrine that God was manifest in the flesh, this is one of those things that will help you out infinitely, infinitely, because more than one group denies this. It's not just the Jehovah's Witness that deny this. So some of you may not know this, but Jehovah's Witness deny that Jesus is God. They deny that he died on the cross and rose bodily from the dead. And those are the essential things for salvation. Not only do they deny those, but they deny other things as well. But we're going to focus on the majors, right? So I'm, uh, I said that I was going to share with you uh, one of the experiences that I had. So um, I'm talking to two ladies from the Jehovah's Witness. And if you've ever um, talked to any Jehovah's Witness, there's always going to be two. And whenever you talk to them, understand this. There's going to be an older and a younger. Not necessarily in age, but in faith. An older in the doctrine and a younger in the doctrine because they're training, okay? They have a really good system about training people. Um, now, here's the thing about the Jehovah's Witness. They were started in the 1870s. Um, was, it was started by Charles Taze Russell in the 1870s. They've had three false um, announcements of Christ's return. So there's a big indicator that something's not right. Um, but they've had three um, false alarms, three false alarms. Um, one of them was 1874, and he said, well, since you didn't see it, it was an invisible return, and in four years you'll see it. Didn't ever happen. 1914 comes. Here's another announcement. Well, you didn't see it. It's an invisible return. That's not what the Bible says, Right? Then there's another one in 1975. So they've had three false alarms, which tells you a lot. Apart from that, one of the, the, the main things that we want to uh, look at tonight is this foundational truth about, be, about God being manifest in the flesh. So whenever um, I'm talking to these two um, Jehovah's Witnesses, the key whenever you talk to them is to focus on the younger one, Okay. I'm telling you that because the older one has already been entrenched in doctrine. You may or may not know this, but whenever they go to their services, um, the, the main thing that they learn is how to blow your arguments out of the water. Okay? 
So their teaching is how to trip you up. So if a person's been in it for a long, long, long time, they're like a robot. And it's going to take just a miracle from God to break through that, which the Word of God can do. So whenever I, what, every time I talk to Jehovah's Witness groups, I always talk to the youngest one. And you can always tell because the way that they set up, okay? The youngest one will, will read the scriptures, and the oldest one will tell you what the, their church teaches. So you always go after that younger one because they're the one that you can potentially save, okay, Ease, more easily. Because um, I'm always about low-hanging fruit. Amen? Y'all remember that about low-hanging fruit? I'm all about low-hanging fruit. So I'm going after this younger one, and here's my first question whenever I, whenever I encounter them. My first question is, what Bible do you use? Because this is important. How many of you know this? Not every Bible says what we just read. Amen. Not every Bible says that God was manifest in the flesh, even though this is a foundational truth that the church was built on. And you know it because Emmanuel, Isaiah chapter 7, declares what Emmanuel means. When, when Matthew writes in, in, in chapter 1 that Jesus was Emmanuel being interpreted God with us. This is what Isaiah wrote in Isaiah chapter 7. So when, when God is with us, it doesn't say a God is with us. It says God is with us. That's what Emmanuel means. And you also know this is true because John chapter 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then in verse 14 it says, And the Word what? The Word was made flesh. It dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. Okay, so this is how, these are, and there's more ways, because Jesus in John chapter 8 declared that he was I am, and in, in many other ways, but this is, this is how you know that this verse is true. Well, the Bible declares it. So anyways, whenever I'm talking to these two Jehovah's Witnesses, I say, okay, I'll talk to you about the Bible, but which Bible are we using? Can we use the King James Bible? They say yes, so I, I, I say score one. If we, can, if we can settle on that, you know, because any time I enter into a, a discussion with anybody, I want to know what the bottom line is. Because if you're, if you're going to tell me that you're not going to hold yourself accountable to the Bible, then it doesn't do any good to talk about it. Okay? If somebody's going to deny that the Bible is truth and that the Bible is the foundation, then it doesn't do any good. Once they get to that point, though, they say, yeah, we can use the King James Bible. I say, great. So we're going to use the King James Bible. Um, here's my first question. Is Jesus God? And I know what they're going to say. No, Jesus is not God. He's a God. He's in a, when what they truly believe is that he's the angel, uh, Michael. That's what they truly believe. So here's the question. You say Jesus is a God, little g, kind of like word of faith. You say that Jesus was created. You say Jesus is an angel. But 1 Timothy 3.16, let's look at that. And let's read what the Bible says about Jesus. So it says here that God was manifest in flesh. And here's my question. Who is this verse talking about? Who is God manifest in flesh? That was my question to them. And, of course, they couldn't answer it because they know it's Jesus. It's talking about Jesus. So, they, so the answer is, well, 
a God, little g, was manifest in flesh. And I said, but that's not what the Bible says right there. I said, can you read that one more time? What does it say? It says God, right? And there's no A in front of it. It says God. God was manifest in flesh. Is that what it says? Yes, that's what it says. Well, who's it talking about? Well, that's not what we teach. We teach that, that Jesus is not God. I know what you teach, but what does that say? What does this say? Understand? And, I, and, and so I'm being loving. I'm being gracious. I'm asking questions. And any time that you're um, involved with somebody like this, the, the big key is to ask questions. Don't act like you know it all, okay? Don't act like you know it all because truth is none of us do. But important thing to do is to ask questions. Get them to look with their own eyes. So say, whenever you bring somebody to this passage, look, you know, whenever you're dealing with somebody in the word of faith or somebody like a Jehovah's Witness that, that denies these kinds of truths, go to these kinds of verses and say, okay, well, tell me, since you believe what you believe, who's this talking about? Who's that? Who is this? Who do you say that this is? You remember whenever Jesus told his disciples, he said, who do men say that I am? A very important question. Who do you say that Jesus is? And so when, whenever you're dealing with Jehovah's Witness, this is important. Well, same thing with, with you're dealing with word of faith, okay? Because they'll say that Jesus is God manifest in the flesh, but then you can turn that around and say, but are you God? Are you a God too? Because see, what they do is they bring Jesus down a little bit and they elevate man a little bit, okay? There's a gulf between God and man. And it's filled by Jesus. But if you bring God down and man up, there's no gulf anymore. You're God. And you can, just like the Tower of Babel, you can come and go as you please. But, see, the Bible teaches that different. The Bible teaches that we're separated from God and that Jesus is God manifest in the flesh, right? And he's the one that says there's no mediator. but there, There's a one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, okay? All right. Now, with that said, here's, here was my second question. So whenever we're having this discussion, um, you know, there's really no answer for those kinds of questions. But here's the second question, because like I said, whenever you're dealing with somebody in this, in this, uh, in this group, the other thing that they deny is that Jesus died on a cross and that he was dead for three days and that he rose from the dead. Okay, that's another doctrine that they deny. So one of the things that I, I tried to do is try to hit two birds with one stone. Low-hanging fruit. Two birds with one stone. So I want to prove, number one, that Jesus rose from the dead bodily. Because you know what I'm trying to do? I'm not trying to win an argument. I'm trying to win a soul. So I'm trying to get, I'm trying to get this soul that I'm talking to, I'm trying to get her to see Jesus is God. And I'm trying to get her to see he bodily rose from the dead, okay? These two truths, I'm trying to get them to understand. So I've, I've already shown them that Jesus is God manifest in the flesh, and I've shown her that their church has no answer for that verse. You see that? I've shown this person their church has no answer for that question. So how am I going to go to the second part? So I'm going to take them to John chapter number 2. So, and, and the awesome thing is, um, the day before this, I was actually studying this verse out. And it's amazing how God does this. Whenever we were having all our debates with Hebrew roots teachers, 
um, the, the, the Lord did the same exact thing. There was one time um, that we were talking about, uh, I was, for some reason, the Lord had me studying in Acts about the day of unleavened bread and whenever Peter was arrested. God just had me studying that, and I was studying it and studying it and studying it, and I had no idea the next, the, the next time I went on the, the little uh, debate with this guy, that was what he was going to try to lamb bless me with. So it's, it's amazing how God will prepare you if you'll follow the Lord's leading. Well, anyways, I was studying about this verse, and it's amazing. It just, it, it, it just laid itself out perfectly. So go over to John chapter number two, and let me show you something. Here's, here was my second question to this group. Here was my second question. Okay. I know what they teach about Jesus being raised from the dead, but I'm not touching it yet. I know that they teach that he was only raised spiritually, but not physically. I understand that. But like I said, I'm not touching that yet. I'm going to try to get two birds with one stone. So here's my question. Well, who raised Jesus from the dead? That's my question. And I know what they're going to say. Who do you say? Who, who do you say raised Jesus from the dead? God. Exactly. God raised Jesus from the dead. Now, I got them to clearly say that. I said, okay, who raised Jesus from the dead? God did. One more time. Who raised Jesus from the dead? God did. Okay, so you believe that God raised Jesus from the dead? Yes. Yes. They, and by this time, they're like thinking I'm crazy or something. Okay, I just want to know. So let's read John chapter 2, and, and let's, let's look at a passage of Scripture here. Let's look in John chapter number 2 at verse number 19. It says, Jesus answered and said unto them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Then said the Jews, Forty and six years was this temple in building, and will thou rear it up in three days? But he spake of the temple of his body. Body. So we've got two birds with one stone right here. So I've already, you know, got them to think I'm silly because I asked them so many times, who raised Jesus from the dead? And they said, God. Now, I said, according to this passage, according to this passage, who raised Jesus from the dead? They said, God did. I said, okay, but according to this passage, does it say, I will? Yes, it says, I will. So who is the I that is speaking? Well, he, they didn't really know what to say. They started throwing some answers out of left field. They, they said, well, you know, he was so sure that God was going to do it, he just said he was going to do it. I said, so you're telling me he told a white lie? You're telling me that he lied right there? That he knowingly misled these people and said he took the glory for raising himself from the dead? Is that what you're... No, 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 he didn't lie. Okay, okay, he didn't lie. So who is the I right there? When he said, I will raise it up again, who's the I? They would never say Jesus. They would never say it. 
I said, who, at the beginning of that verse, does it say Jesus answered them? Yes. And does it say, it's just a continuation. So who said, I will raise it up again? Was it God or Jesus? I'm trying to get them to see Jesus is God, right? I've already shown them that there's God manifest in the flesh. Now I'm showing them this. And I said, and, 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 I said, and specifically speaking, he's talking about raising his body from the dead. And they're saying, well, if somebody dies... They can't raise themselves from the dead. I said, because they're people. But if God laid himself out on the cross, he can do whatever he wants. Amen. He could stay in the ground for 500 years and raise from the dead because he's God. I said, when somebody dies, they don't cease to exist, do they? Well, they kind of hedge on that because if you know their doctrine. When somebody dies, they enter into the, there's the spirit world and there's the physical world. When your physical body dies, your spirit's still alive. It goes somewhere. I said, have you never read in Luke whenever there's Abraham's bosom? Lazarus and the rich man. You remember this story? Lazarus and the rich man and the, the rich man goes to hell and in torment. And Lazarus goes to Abraham's bosom. They're both dead. Their bodies have ceased to exist, but they're still alive. How do you explain this? No answer. Okay. So, but we've proved that you don't have any answer for who God was manifest in the flesh. We've also proved you said that God raised Jesus from the dead, but Jesus says right here he was going to raise himself from the dead. That's just not possible. But what if he's God? Is it possible if he's God? No answer. Okay, so we're getting somewhere now. So now, this soul that I'm after right here, this soul that I'm after has seen that their church denies that God is manifest in the flesh, even though the Bible says it. Their church also denies that Jesus rose from the dead bodily, even though the Bible declares it right here. Amen? So here's the third point. Here's the third point. Was Jesus created or is he the creator? Which one is it? We know that he's the creator, but every false or cultic teacher is going to teach that he was created, created. And here is how they'll do it. Well, let me show you this verse first. Just move over to one chapter, to John chapter number one. John chapter number one. And we'll read verses one through three. It says, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him. So I stopped right here. I said, so who's this verse talking about? Is this talking about God or is this talking about Jesus? Because, you know, they try to make a distinction. Because I said, there, there's the word, the word was with God and the word was God. So is this God or Jesus? Well, it's talking about Jesus. Okay. So all things were made by him. I said, do you believe that all things were made by Jesus? Well, everything except for him. I said, okay, is that what that verse says? Does that verse say that all things but 
he was made by him. No. The verse says all things were created by him. All things. Do all things mean all things or do all things mean some things? I know this is a kind of elementary question, but it's important when you're talking about foundational truth. All things mean all things. And so here is a, here is a teachable moment for this person. Look what it says. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Nothing. Without him. If Jesus didn't make it, nothing was made. You see that? If Jesus didn't make it, nothing was made. So how can he be created if he created all things? This is a question that I ask. No answer. So, okay, well, and again, I'm talking to this younger person, okay? This is who I'm after. This is the soul I'm after. Say, so, okay, your church teaches that Jesus is created, right? Yes. What does that verse say? That he created all things. All things were created by him. So your church teaches that he's created, and that verse in the Bible teaches that he created all things. So which one are you going to believe? And whenever I ask that question, the older person jumps in, right? And every time, I'm, every time I present a truth like this and I say, you know, your church says that Jesus is not God, but what does that verse say? Your church says that Jesus didn't raise himself from the dead, but what does that verse say? Jesus, you know, your church says he didn't raise bodily, but what does this verse say? And every time I do that, the, the older one, right, starts interjecting stuff. Well, let's go over here and look in Ecclesiastes. Let's go over here and look in Job. Let's go over here and look in Isaiah. That's fine. We can do that. But answer this question first. Right? Can we answer this question first? Can we answer this? Let's finish answering this question first, and then we'll go, we'll go over there. I'll happily go over there. But can you answer this question first? They can't answer it. Okay. So here's the deal. You get into this point and you say, your church teaches that Jesus was created. The Bible, this verse right in front of your eyes, teaches that Jesus made all things and without him, nothing was made. So which one do you believe? And I, and, and I kind of winded it down and I said, now I've shown you three things, three things that your church teaches that completely contradict what the Bible says. Which one do you believe? And, I told, and, I, and this is kind of how I, I was real, you know, informal about it. I said, look, you know, if my church begins teaching something that contradicts the Bible, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to go with my church. I'm going to believe what the Bible says more than I believe what my church teaches. So I'm going to ask you, if you realize your church is teaching something, but the Bible teaches something explicitly different, which one will you believe? Well, we got to go. We got to go. We don't have any more time right now. We don't have any more time right now. Okay. Well, I'll tell you what. Can I give you my phone number? The older one wants to write. No, I want you to have it. Can you take my phone number? Because when you want to know more, call me. When you want to know more, call me, right? Can we pray with you before? Can I pray? 
or you're going to pray. Well, they wanted to pray. I'm not going to allow them to pray because they don't know Jesus. Okay? Their, their prayer is going to bounce off the wall. Because if they're not praying in Jesus, the Creator's name, no. So we just end right there. And so peacefully, but then I pray that the word sown in this person's heart becomes fruitful. Amen? So this is why I wanted to, to share this with you is because, uh, you know, whenever the, we're, we're, we've been talking about the church and whenever Paul um, was going around with Timothy and Titus and all of his young ministers and he was starting churches everywhere, like he said, I want you to know how you're supposed to order yourself, how you're supposed to behave in the church of the living God, okay? That's what he said in First, in first Timothy. I want you to know how to do this. And this is the ground and the pillar of truth. Here's an essential doctrine. Here's an essential truth. Why is it that people deny this? Why is it that people deny this? Because on this hangs salvation. The Bible says in Romans chapter 10 that you must confess that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, right? You confess unto salvation and you believe unto righteousness. That's the gospel. That God raised him from the dead. Well, I thought Jesus raised himself from the dead. Yes. Jesus is God. It, it, that's, ex, that's exactly what 1 Timothy 3 teaches. John chapter 1 teaches. And let me show you this. You're in John chapter 1. We, and, and we've been talking about the word. Look at verse number 14. The word was with God and the word was God. And look at verse 14. And the word was made flesh. So the word was with God and the word was God. And then in verse 14, it says the word became flesh. That's Jesus. That's God manifest in the flesh. And we know, we know, like I said earlier, that no man has seen the father and lived. Amen. So whenever God came here, he came, the, the word of God, Jesus, God the Son, whenever he came here, he donned flesh. Because if he didn't, everybody would have died. Whenever, here's something that you need to look at, and, and we'll not get into the whole teaching, because there's a really important thing here. Later on, in Jesus' ministry, before he goes to the cross, he takes Peter, James, and John, and he goes up, and he's transfigured. How many of y'all remember this? His glory began to be revealed, whiter than any white. Amen? And when they saw his glory, they couldn't get past it. It was amazing to them. He began to show them just a glimpse of how, glory, how gloriful he actually is. The brightness of his glory outshines the sun. And when he was there on that Mount of Transfiguration, he began to reveal a little glimpse of it to Peter, James, and John. And what did they try to do? They tried to build temples for him right there. They tried to build temples. This is, too, this is better than that temple down there. And see, that's the same glory and even more so whenever the Lord returns. Whenever the Lord comes back, he's going to come back in the brightness of his glory outshining the sun. 
And so when the, when the world beholds Jesus coming and, and parting the clouds, his glory is going to be magnificent. His glory is going to be magnificent. And so um, understanding if God, if God was going to the cross to pay for our sins, if God was going to do that, he couldn't do that in the brightness of his glory. Otherwise, we would all be dead in his presence because no mortal man can see God and live. That's how holy he is. So he had to become flesh to do what was necessary on the cross because here's the gospel message. Our sins are so vile and God is so holy, you can't do anything about it. I was sharing with, at the nursing home earlier today that even if all you ever did wrong was think one bad thought, if that's all you ever did wrong was think one, how many of y'all thought more than one bad thought? Okay, so we're all guilty. But even if all that you did wrong was think one bad thought, ooh, I hope they trip and fall, whatever it may be. If all you did was think one bad thought, do you know that there is no way that you could make it right with God? That's how holy God is. If all you did was think one negative, sinful thought, God is so holy, you can't work it off. You see, if I do you wrong, let's say I, I, uh, I kick your car door in. I get mad at you. Bam, I kick your car door in. I can make it right with you by buying you a new door and saying I'm sorry. Are we square? We're square. Okay, good. See, whenever we do wrong to other people, we can make it right. We can make restitution. But with God, you can't make restitution. That's how holy God is. This is the foundational gospel. This is why so many people miss it. That's how holy God is. You can't bring God down. He comes down on his own. He's holy, holy, holy. And one thought does enough to send you to hell. One bad thought does enough to send you to hell. There's none righteous in God's eyes. No, not one. And so in order for a man to be saved, in order to reconcile us in, you know, what Adam and Eve lost in the Garden of Eden, in order for us to live eternally with God, God had to bring restitution to us instead of us bringing restitution to God. That's how messed up we are. That's how messed up we are. And so in order for God to come down and bring restitution to us, he can't come in the brightness of his glory. We'd all die. So he had to come as a man. And this is prophesied all throughout scripture, even at the very beginning when Adam and Eve sinned and God pronounced judgment. Remember he told the woman, the seed of the woman is gonna what? Bruise the serpent's head. The, the woman don't have seed. The man has seed. God was prophesying in the Garden of Eden about this, that, 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 a, that a woman would receive the seed from God. And, and, and all throughout the Bible, it's prophesied. You see it when Moses is drawn out of the water. You see it, you know, all throughout the Bible. And Isaiah prophesied it. And, and Jeremiah and Micah, you see all these prophecies about it, and then Jesus comes, Emmanuel, God with us. God manifests in flesh because he was reconciling the world to himself through Jesus. 
This is very important foundational doctrine, and that's the gospel story. And when people don't believe that, they're not saved. They're not saved. And so whenever you're encountering somebody, look, this is an essential. We're talking about soul at stake. The souls that I, were talk, that I was talking to are at risk of hellfire. Now, if I'm talking to somebody that, um, you know, their church don't like musical instruments and ours does, their soul's not at stake. That's just, that, that's just the way a church would operate, okay? That's a difference of opinion in the house of God. We're talking about when somebody denies what I'm teaching tonight, that means they're at risk of going to hell. And so we've got to do all that we can to give them the gospel, to give them every opportunity to believe on Jesus Christ. And the gospel is so awesome because it doesn't matter if you're the vilest of sinners. It doesn't matter if you were, if, if you were the one who launched the spear in Jesus' side or plucked out his beard or put the crown of thorns on his head. Even if that's how vile you were, the opportunity for salvation is still there. That's how merciful he is. And all who call on the name of the Lord, it says in Romans chapter 10, all who call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's the gospel. That's the gospel given to us, and, and that's the truth. So we're going to close right there, but I wanted to, to, uh, to share with you um, those things right there and, and just to give you some tips on how to um, how to interact with somebody because you don't want to come off you don't want to come off as a you know I know everything you don't let's have a debate you don't want to come off like that the, the best thing you can do is say sure let's talk about the Bible and ask questions ask questions and you and, and you you know I kind of had an advantage because I knew what Jehovah's Witness believed but even if I didn't those are the questions you want to go to because you want to know whether they're saved or not. Amen? So they could say, we're from the 14th house of Hezekiah's stable. What? I've never heard of that before, right? So my first question is, who do you say Jesus is? But before I even got into all that, I said, can we settle on the Bible answering all questions? Can we settle on the Bible answer in all questions? Once they say yes on that, then we're all systems go. Because if, if, they, if they won't settle on the Bible answer in all questions, you, you're just going to be in an in, endless discussion, vain babbling. It's just it's Jewish fables. But if you can settle on the Bible, settle in everything, then you can go straight into who do you say Jesus is? And once you get that, then you know whether Hezekiah's 14th stable of believers is right or not. It doesn't matter what they call themselves. It matters what they believe. Amen? It matters what they believe, who they say Jesus is. And so I wanted to give you just some, some tips and some, some information to help you out. Amen?